This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have a dynamic guest, Mr. Brian Ahern from influence people and right before we came on i found out that people is an acronym so brian welcome to the show man i want you to take just a couple of seconds and talk about sort of your background how you got to where you are but before you do any of that i already set the table you got to tell them what the acronym stands for all right people stands for powerful everyday opportunities to persuade that are lasting and ethical and that's because influence is all about people there you go cool so you and I hooked up because we sort of loosely see each other on LinkedIn and you had reached out because I posted something where I had been talking about Chris Voss and Never Split the Difference is hands down one of the top two or three, if not the top book I've ever read. Uh, it's your I am favorite book of all time. It probably is. And mm. I am a student of everything that Voss says, does. I've watched his master class. I have lost probably a hundred hours down rabbit holes on YouTube. It's interesting, man. I mean, the, the, the ability to influence people to give you an outcome that you desire is kind of the whole point of what we do in insurance production, but just even how you use that in your regular life. Talk a little bit about, you know, how you went. Cause you told me you, you started out, um, you know, working in the company side, and now you're all the way over here where you're going and speaking to large groups of people about using these techniques. How did you get there? Well, I started my career in the insurance industry, like every other person who's in insurance, at least that I know, stumbled into it, you know, didn't grow up saying, man, I can hardly <laughs> wait to get into insurance. Right. Um, but it was uh, with travelers insurance companies, and it was great for two reasons. One, I had fantastic training, and two, I met my wife there on the very first day, and we're there still married, go. so that's good. Um, I progressed over to state auto insurance as a commercial underwriter, moved into the sales area, and to be frank, when I, when I first encountered some of the sales training and things, I thought it was all BS, because I was very logical, underwriting type, you know, had been beaten down by agents thinking price was all you guys wanted. And then I started learning from somebody who was really skilled at it. And I really began to see, wow, this can make a difference. 
It was in the early 2000s I bumped into Robert Cialdini's material on the science of influence, and it resonated with me because it was science-based. So that logical part of me, I'm like, hey, here's the proof. This stuff really does make a difference. I knew that it was the underpinning of selling, the psychology that he was teaching, and I really appreciated his stance on ethics. And so I dove headlong into it, started utilizing the material and everything I was doing at the company, and I began to set myself up for the day that I would leave the company. I knew this is what I was going to do with the rest of my career, and I made that choice in, uh, at the end of 2018, and I've been doing this now for uh, almost three full years on my own, but more than a dozen years while I was still working at the corporate job. So what was that process like? Because I know there's a limited number of people that, you know, Cialdini endorses or puts his name behind or what, however the best way is to say that. And you're one of a very limited number of people. What was the process like for you to be able to, to get that? Well, he had, he had come out to the company State Auto where I was working at the time. And he spoke a few times over the summer to what we called leaders conferences. And it was during that time I went out to Arizona and I went through the two-day workshop that they call the Principles of Persuasion. And during that time, I told my boss, I really need to get certified to teach this. And it took me three years to convince him, but somebody once described me as a dog with a bone. I won't let go and I wouldn't let go of it. And so he finally sent me out there and and I went through a, a week-long training process with Dr. Cialdini and his partner, Dr. Gregory Neidert. And this was after a lengthy application uh, phase where I had to show that we would have the ability to market the materials. So we go through this week-long training where we're, we're actually sitting with the guy who wrote the book and we're having to teach back to him and do all of this stuff. And then the process isn't finished even with that because then you have to be audited by his partner, Dr. Gregory Neidert, who is brilliant in his own right. So he came out and audited a workshop that I had put on for agents. And it was only once I was able to successfully do that that I got the green light. And, and there have been people who got to that point doing the workshop and just couldn't do it, didn't handle the material in the way that they wanted. And so they were cut off at that point. So uh, I've been representing him now since 2008. And uh, there are only a dozen of us around the world who can call ourselves wow. Chalky Certified Trainers. So what was it that was so, um, you know, that stood out most or that was so captivating about it that caused you to keep pushing through and, and going for three years and, until you finally got your way? Well, again, I, if I go back to the science, it was it just was overwhelming the difference in these research and these experiments that it would make when you would do things slightly differently in your communication with people. So I just I knew in my heart this stuff works. And then I began to see it as I utilized it in various aspects around the company. But I wanted to go a lot deeper than just what I was reading in the book and trying to figure out on my own. And so that's why I really wanted to go and, and learn directly from Cialdini himself. And again, I was fortunate enough to ultimately be able to, to do that. Isn't it crazy though, how much sense a lot of this stuff makes? I mean, I, I look at the things that I didn't pay attention to in college, you know, when I was taking basic psychology, just not from a persuasion standpoint, but from an actual, here's how the brain is made up and here's how the different parts of the brain work and all of that stuff. But then you get somebody like yourself who has a workshop, who's learned from one of the best in the world at persuading people or understanding how to persuade people. And then we have to go out and try it and put it into practice, right? Like I'm one of these people, Brian, that if you said, David, if you're going to write more, if you want to write more business, 
put on your bathrobe, a football helmet, and go do the mamba in the parking lot in front of your building. Hey, Brian said to do it. He's certified yeah. by the best mamba dancer in the in the world. I mean, I'm just going to follow. You know, people pay for your advice. They pay for you to tell them how to do this. And then all of a sudden, people just like they freeze up. I see this all the time, even with producers that we work with inside a killing commercial where, you know, it's the hey, sky guys, part is, is putting yeah, it into action, right? And it's interesting to me that it's like at some point when you receive training and information, you still have to take some level of a leap of faith mm -hmm. to prove that it works. And then once that happens, it's like your kid learning to ride a bike the first time, right? Once they realize they can pedal without falling off, next thing you know, they're like jumping ramps and, you know, cruising around the neighborhood all day. But I mean, what's your, what do you have to say about that? Because I imagine you see it a lot. Yeah, I would say uh, don't mistake knowledge for wisdom. Uh, we we all, as a good example, I, I would say that anybody who desires to be healthier probably knows exactly what they should do. They have the knowledge. They probably know at a minimum, I can cut out the ice cream and I can go for a walk today. And then they can get more sophisticated in their exercise and their diet. It's not a matter of not knowing what to do. It's a matter of putting into practice what you already know and then growing from there. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that because inertia is tough to overcome, right? People keep doing things the way they've always done. And then they wonder why they keep getting the results that they are. But that's, that's a big challenge for most people is to take that and put it into practice because it takes effort. Yeah, I agree. So you've been around the insurance industry from the company side. Now you go and you, you speak and you train and all of that. What would you say if you were to give one piece of advice, I'm going to run you through a stop, start and continue exercise. What is okay. something you think the producers out there need to stop doing? They need to stop telling people what to do and start asking. And that taps into one of the principles that we call consistency, which says, Human beings, we feel this internal psychological pressure, but also an external social pressure to be consistent in what we say and do. And it really boils down to this word and deed. Most of us feel much better about ourselves when we keep our word, when our words and deeds line up. And so when you tell somebody what to do, you're not tapping this principle because they have all kinds of excuses. I didn't hear you. Um, I was going to do it later. I've been too busy. But when you ask somebody, David, will you? and you put that ask out there, you either come back with a yes or a no. Now, if you come back with a no, there's other psychological concepts to be ready for that. But assuming you say yes, you are far more likely to do what I would like to see you doing, which is also in your best interest, because you don't want to feel bad about yourself. So stop telling, start asking, and you'll be pleasantly surprised at how much more people will do those things you need them to do. So if I'm a producer, what's an example of a, an activity that I would run? Like if I'm requesting loss runs from somebody, I don't say, you, you know, go grab the loss runs for the last five years. How do I phrase that question? But, but it would just be, you know, David, would you be able to get me uh, your last five year loss runs uh, by this Friday? Because without them, I really can't go any further on on getting you a number. I think yeah, that well, part it, at the it, very end there was was the key though is giving them kind of like a deadline, right? Yeah, like, both not, both times he gave them the deadline and he gave them the reason why. Yeah, exactly. So there's a whole bunch of psychology in that, right? I've asked instead of telling you, uh, I'm giving you the deadline because if you say you can't get it by Friday, I'm going to say, you know, is there any chance you'd be able to get it over the weekend and get it to me first thing on Monday? 
and the psychology is people don't like to say no. And lots of studies show that when you come back immediately with another request, the odds start going up pretty significantly that you're going to ultimately get to a yes. And the third part, as you pointed out, Kyle, I said because and I gave a reason. And there are studies, too, that show when you use the word because it's a psychological trigger, because most of us when we were growing up and mom or dad said, do why? something we ever said, why? Right. They came back because I said so. And I don't know about you guys, but I didn't say, hey, dad, that's not a legitimate reason. I just <laughs> did what I was told to do. Not more than once. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, but but I mean, having been having been in outside of the insurance industry and having to train teams of people or whatever else, that's something that was impressed on me very, very early. So I do think that, and Kyle can either agree with this or tell me I'm all wet, but he's been on enough sales calls with me to know I'm usually pretty darn good about giving people the reason why behind things, right? Because I have found it just through my own experience and I am not one of a dozen worldwide. I'm just a guy that's, you know, sold a bunch of stuff and been through the school of hard knocks and figured out what works. I wish I had a training course back in my early twenties because my life might be a little bit differently, but, um, I find that when you give people the reason why behind things, two things happen. Number one, you're more likely to get what you need because now they understand. Mm-hmm. And number two, they're never going to ask that question again because you actually completely answered what it is or you gave them the instructions or how you framed that in such a way that there is no more information that they need if you did it right. And it's funny because I was on a call yesterday with a guy that owns an agency that's also a producer. And it's a guy that I've had a relationship with for a few years now. And we have a a standing call every Tuesday and I'm sure he's listening to this and I know he knows exactly that I'm talking to him. So uh, he gave me a really good example. He kept talking about how he doesn't have time. He doesn't have time. He doesn't have time to go after new business, to do this, to do this, because these people have all these questions and he, he, I just let him go because I knew he was getting worked up and I knew that he was, that I was going to be able to hit him right between the eyes if I just let him keep talking. And finally, he got to that point where he's like, I finally told the last guy, Google is your friend. I can't be sitting here answering your questions and educating you all day. You need to go to Google for that. And I said, and that's exactly why you don't have the time to get everything else done in your agency. You have missed the point that our first job is to educate and you can be doing all of this stuff proactively. What have you done? What type of content have you distributed? If you have people in Florida that are coming to you and talking about the fact their homeowners is going up 20 or 30%, what have you done to proactively prepare your client base to understand the market factors and other things aside from, hey, I'm just a greedy insurance agent that are causing that to happen? It's our job to educate. To me, the absolute best salespeople are educators first because the sale closes itself if you answer the unanswered questions. So this is kind of like the ops side internally in the agency where you've talked about in the past, instead of having to train every single person that comes in on our process and procedure, you're going to do it once, create a video, and everybody that comes in is going to watch based on their position these different videos and figure out how to do things. You can do the same thing with your clients. You can, you know, post a, a quick video explaining what you were just talking about, how property rates are going up 20 to 30%. Here's why you can direct them to it. And then instead of taking 20 phone calls every week and having to explain that over and over again, they're doing it, you know, 
proactively themselves. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, I don't want to lose the human interaction, but I think that enhances the human interaction to where if they've taken the time to consume what you've done to educate them, it's a much different conversation than they're just asking the same questions. Listen, right. if you have if you have multiple clients calling your agency asking the same questions over and over right. again, you're missing the mark somewhere. This that's is a saying. perfect opportunity for you to keep those calls from coming in by answering the questions before they, they have them. Yeah, and it's an opportunity, as you say, to create something and, and maybe use that as, as part of your marketing to your customers. Boy, this week I got five questions. They were all essentially the same, and that makes me think many of you have the same question. Take a moment to watch this two-minute video and find out and, and whatever that, that answer is and create that curiosity for those people. And, and then in the future, you've got that as a resource for other people who might have those questions. I, I look at... I look at the time part as an investment, right? And and so if somebody says, I don't have time to answer all these questions because they're probably just doing these quick little one-offs, maybe if you took more time with just a few people, you'd be converting those people into customers that would make you feel like, huh, maybe I just need to identify the people that I do want to spend the time with and then I really invest there because it's coming back in spades. Yeah, agreed. I, I just think that so many times we get caught up in we feel like that would because we're busy, we're making progress when in all reality, we're busy and we're not operating as efficiently as we could. And then that becomes an excuse for why we don't hit our numbers. I mean, that's that's the way that I look at it. What is something that you think? So you told us what producers should stop. What What's something producers should start doing that you see by and large is lacking from many of their approaches uh, today? Because it can become very transactional, I would say really investing in coming to know and like the clients and potential clients that you're meeting. So we talk about a principle called liking and, and everybody gets this, right? It's easier for us to say yes to those we know and like. And then when we talk about, well, what is it that causes liking? You know, if, if I find out, for example, with, with the YouTube that uh, maybe we grew up in the same hometown or we cheer for the same team, we have the same pet, lots of studies show that because we are similar, you will like me more. But it should never be about me getting you to like me. It should always be about me doing everything I can to like you. And the good news is the same things that will make you like me cause me to like you. So when I go in with a mindset of, I want to find out what we have in common because that's going to make me like you more, David. That's going to make me like you, Kyle. And the reason this becomes so important is when you see, when you really can sense that, hey, that guy, Brian, he's genuine. He really does like, he cares for me, that's what opens you up to the rest of the process. Because friends do right by friends. I know you guys believe that, I believe that, and so when somebody can look at you as their agent or potential agent and say friend, that's where they're gonna be more likely to say yes at every step in the process. One of oh, the some first. of my best friends. Yeah, some of my best friends are my clients for crying out loud at this point, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, you you basically also proved what I believe, and that is that content marketing, specifically using video, now that it's been more predominant, is king. You know. I don't want everybody to be my client. I want the people who my voice resonates with to be my client. I want the people who can relate to me based on how I present in a video or whatever. They're like, you know what? That guy's pretty sharp. He knows what he's talking about. That's somebody I want to do business with, not the person that's sitting there saying, eh, that guy could afford to be on the treadmill for a couple of more minutes and put the ice cream down. His suit jacket's a little tight. You know, They're nitpicking me the entire time. 
I want the per I think we have a, a great opportunity for people to sort of pre-approve how they're going to react or interact with you based on how you put yourself out there in a content marketing way. And Kyle, I know you were going to say something. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, you're good. What I was going to say is that just kind of reminded me of back in my um, office supply days is that was one of the first things that we would really kind of teach people is, um, you know, aside from ice breaking, like when you're when you're in front of the decision maker, even the gatekeeper for that matter, is, is just trying to find something off the bat that you can build some rapport on that you guys have common, that you guys have in common. You know, whether it was seeing somebody's diploma on the wall and it was USF and I went to USF and so we start talking about that or whether they had a picture of their dog or their kids on, you know, their desk or something. Anything like that to start relating with them as a human versus just someone trying to come in there and sell them something. It, you know, it drops their guard and it, and it just helps move the process along in the direction that it needs to go. Yeah. The one thing I would emphasize on this, though, because two people can do the same thing, but I think the mindset means a lot. So somebody could go in thinking about what you just shared, Kyle, and really viewing it as nothing more than a tactic to get that person to like them. Yeah. And the yep. difference being when we start to lay hold of this, and like David, as you said, so many of your clients have become friends, and that makes business even more fun, that if you're going in and saying, I want to come to like these people, I want to really enjoy the people that I serve, that's the difference maker, I think, because that begins to change things. It reminds me of, did you guys see the movie Bull Durham? The, oh, yeah. Yeah, Kyle, you've never you seen know, Bull Durham? Nuke Lelouch? Come on. Mm -mm. The quote in there about Tim, uh, I definitely Tim heard, I, I definitely have heard of it, but I have not seen it. Well, We're well, watching it in sales meeting next Monday because it's Columbus Day and nobody's working anyhow, so you can come down and I'll <laughs> put it up in the office. Well, there's there's a, a quote in there where somebody says something about we have to play baseball today, and, and I think Costner says, have to, we get to, Right. Two people are going to do the same thing, but the person who's going in, like, I have to do this versus the yeah. person's like, I get to do this. That's the mindset I think we want when we are trying to interact with current and potential clients. And if nothing else, if nothing else, your life will be happier because it's really nice when you can say, you know what? I really like the people that I work with, that I interact with. That rests more on us than it does them. That's a good point. Yeah, I agree. You know, I like to... I almost say that when I go in and it's been, I, I'm not going out and beating down doors like I used to back in the day, but I mean, I can remember when I did, and this also sort of proves what you're saying, Brian, I would have such great conversations and be genuinely interested in the gatekeepers and people that I was talking to that I would forget why I was there because yeah. I made them the center of my attention. And maybe that's why I have had so much success in being able to get past them is because I focus on building that relationship first. I mean, at the core of it, and I, I've, I've said this multiple times on the podcast, at the very core of it, my kids ask me, what do you do for a living? And my answer is 100% the same. Daddy gets paid to make friends for a living. Isn't that the best job ever? You know, to, to your point too about the gatekeeper, that reminds me, you know, another thing that, that causes us to like people is paying genuine compliments. And one of the biggest clients I have, which is not in the insurance industry, when I was connected with the owner and then I started working with his admin, she's awesome. I mean, she was so responsive on everything. And so Paul and I get on a Zoom call and I begin to, you know, really praise her. Well, I didn't know that she was on the call yet. So, so I'm like, you know, over the top, Hannah has been just awesome. And because, and I'm saying these things and then she's right there. 
you know, and so she knew I was genuine. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't do that to do it in front of her. I wanted to genuinely let this guy know you got a, a rock star as your admin because she's so easy to work with. Well, once she heard that, though, right, she is now an advocate for me. And so she was just so helpful and so easy to work with on multiple sessions that I did over a course of a year for their company. So we've done stop. We've done start. What's something that you've seen as far as good producer behavior that you think they should continue? I think I think uh, continuing and, and still always looking to get better, presenting yourself as really as an expert beyond just the fact that, well, of course, you know, you're an insurance agent and I'm not. So, you know, more than me, but but doing what you can to present yourself as that expert so that somebody it's easier for them to continue to follow your lead. And it's simple things like, you know, if I were talking to you and I see, you know, David, I've been doing this now for more than 30 years, dropping that fact begins to change your thinking. Now, certainly there can be some people who've done the same job every year for 30 years. And there's some people who accumulate 30 years of experience. But generally when people hear you've done something for a long time, they equate that with being better at what you do. That's a simple way for an agent to just casually change how somebody might think about the next thing that comes out of their mouth, which is going to help them in terms of their insurance protection. The other thing too, is just simply citing sources. Most of us learn what we learn from reputable places and then we fail to cite those sources when the truth is, if we cite them, we'll be even more credible. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things, and Kyle's heard this plenty of times, that's one of the things that I preach and why I'm such a huge proponent of content creation because when you're in a new business appointment, sometimes the the source that you cite is your own. And I mean, how much better credibility can you get than when you're sitting there talking to somebody about what could be a complex topic and say, listen, whew, I've been doing this for two decades and I was able to get it down into about a 300 word blog post that you'll be able to read in about a minute and a half. Let me get you the link to that because it's probably way easier for you to digest that than me trying to explain it on the fly to you. So here's a good example. When I was... Um in Michigan and and spoke at the Keystone event last week, there was a company rep and we began talking and he said, well, you know, what you do, you know, is this really something that underwriters would benefit from? And first of all, I said, absolutely, because underwriters continually need to get yeses from agents. They need to work together so that they can move the ball forward. And And then I said, I wrote an article called The Influential Underwriter. And I made sure I said, for the CPCU Magazine Insights. It was in last fall's edition. He's like, oh my gosh, could you send that to me? Mentioning that it was in CPCU's magazine gave it even more credibility. It wasn't self-serving. It was like stamp of approval from CPCU. So so that is going to go a long way to building that relationship and ultimately probably getting a client out of it. Yeah, I think there's a a definite distinction between, you know, boasting and, and just adding credibility to what it is that you do. Um, and, and it, and it's, it's how you say it, right? I mean, you're, what you just said right there wasn't anything, you know, bragging on something you've done. It's simply citing the fact that you're, you know, you know what you're doing. And I mm-hmm. think that's important for people. It settles them down and, and, you know, again, allows them to relate with you on a personal level. Yeah. Now, when you want, when you need the brag, there is a way to do that and not come across as a braggart. And that would be, so let's say, Kyle, you're going to go out and it's potentially the biggest account you've ever written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get David as owner of the agency to send an email on your behalf. Hey, Joe, you know, we are so excited that Kyle is going to come out and, and 
present our solution to you tomorrow. I want to share a few things about Kyle that you may not know because he's a humble guy. And then he starts listing off all these awesome traits. And it's perfectly natural coming from him, especially above you in the organization. If you said those same things, that would be a turnoff. So I always encourage people, make sure you have a bio ready to be introduced. I had one when I got up on stage. I'm sure you do, David, when you get up on stage, somebody reads a bio, but but even for those introductions to other people, because then you know the most important things are getting out in front, creating excitement to meet you. That's a good point. So obviously this was something that you're really passionate about. You know, um, I, I'd like to know what has been the most rewarding aspect of, um, of, of this journey for you. My, I always talk about my goal with this is professional success and personal happiness. I really believe if I can give people the tools to enjoy more success at the office and all of that, that, what that opens up, if I can give them tools that when they go home and they have conversations with their spouse, their kids, their neighbors, and, and they get along better, there's more peace and happiness, that that's a really, really good why. And I will give one example where I really felt awesome about something I did. And that was an insurance agency in, in the St. Louis area. Many years ago, I did a workshop, and at the end of the workshop, we would strategize about how to put into practice these principles. And they said, we are looking to move our facility from a suburb into the city, and yet we're getting all this pushback from somebody who was like on the Historic Preservation Society. And it was things like the height of a fence and where certain doors were going to be and, and very trivial things. And I said, you know what? I said, it seems to me like you guys want the same thing. I mean, you want a building that your employees and your clients will be proud to come to. And they want a building that the city will be proud of. That's that's what you need to talk about. So they the day they went in to try to finalize this negotiation, they said, you know, we're ready. We're going to put into practice all this stuff that you taught us last week. And at the at the most stressful time, one of the sons said to the lady who was on the historic committee, I think we both want the same thing. You want a building that the city will be proud of. We want a building that, the, that our employees and clients will be proud of. Can't we figure this out? And she said, I really appreciate that. I have never drawn a line in the sand that I wasn't willing to cross. Thank you. And they got the deal done. And this is why it's so important to me. For a generation, maybe, or more, that family-owned business is going to be in that building. And I know I had a hand to make that happen. And it may have changed the course of their 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 business, you know, the kids may want to come into the business, all of that stuff. And even if they don't know that, those kids, I know that I help them make that happen. That's what this is all about. So I actually used a very similar technique um, last week. No, but it may actually have been subconsciously me replicating that Mm -hmm. because Brian told me that same story a couple of weeks ago. And I had a client who had an issue with a collection attorney calling them due to a clerical error from a premium finance company. And it was a significant chunk of change. It was like $17,000. And this collection attorney is just hammering my client. My client's like, I don't know this money. And there's no proof anywhere. Finally, they call me. And after I blessed them out for not calling me immediately, I got the attorney's name and, and we jumped on the phone. And, and I mean, this guy was exactly what you would expect from a collection. He may, he's pro- I say collection attorney very loosely. He worked at a collection attorney's office. Mm-hmm. I, I highly doubt this guy was actually an attorney. And he started in on me. 
And he's like, you know, I, we want our money. We want this cleared up, blah, blah, blah. And so I just said, you know, it sounds to me like we both want the same thing. You know, we both want my client to not be involved with your office anymore. So instead of, you know, trading shots back and forth, is there a way that we can, you know, civil, in a civilized manner get through this so that I can help you get your ultimate resolution, which is also what I want. It was like somebody flipped the switch, the whole tone changed, and this guy put his guard down, you know, because my natural reaction, I know this is going to come as a shock to a lot of people who listen to the podcast, was I wish that joker was sitting across the desk from me so I could grab him by the neck. Nobody's going to talk to me that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that a lot of us, you know, we need to check that at the door because it's easy to get your it's feathers so hard ruffled. Too, though. <laughs> I, I know God, it's so hard. Well, and and you've seen me before where we've had to, you know, I've had to eat crow specifically for stuff like this. But yeah, you know, I, I'm of the mindset where I'm like, you know what, you're probably not going to be a good client for me. I'm out. You know, that would be an easy right. way for me to do that. But I actually have started just in the last couple of years, really viewing it as a challenge that the more difficult somebody is, the more involved I want to get because I want to prove I can win. So how do you go from seeing red like that to flipping the switch? And is it just a repetition and a practice thing? Is it something specific that you've done um, or, or changed in that moment? Like I think for me, the reason why I was able to flip the switch there was because I knew if I blew it up, this guy could file a lawsuit against my client for $17,000. And as much as I wanted to be human and lose my mind, I realized that I needed to take a deep breath, channel my you know inner whatever, and then go at him a completely different direction. And I think sometimes too, you know, you have to realize specifically, and I've read enough Dave Ramsey books and everything else, but specifically in the collections industry, those people are trained to prey on whatever emotion gets yeah. the result that they want. So mm -hmm. in their CRM, they know that if they talk talk bad to you and you get angry, they're going to get a payment from you. Or if they, you know, threaten you and use scare tactics, they're going to get a payment from you. And so I wasn't going to let him win. I went in completely emotionless once I took that deep breath and decided to talk to him. And he didn't know how to handle that. Now, here's, here's the thing, though. So I, I have a, a friend who has a collections agency. Where, where through the, the state, they can get authorized to go back and try to collect money on behalf of the state if people owe money on their taxes. And he said, hey, I was reading some of Cialdini's work. Would these principles help me in terms of our ability to get this money that, that people owe the state? And I said, sure. And so we started looking at, at all the letters they were sending out and we changed a lot of stuff and they saw a significant increase in the number of people who proactively were calling them to try to settle the debts. Part of the problem is when you treat people like an idiot, that's how they're going to respond. And, and I'm not saying you, you slide in and try to be all buddy-buddy and stuff, but by putting truthful things in like, you know, the vast majority of people pay their taxes on time. That's the, the principle of social proof. When people know others are doing something, they're more likely to do it. I'm sure there's probably a very legitimate reason that you fell behind. We'd like to talk to you about that, right? So it's very soft. And you're not accusing them. Yeah, you're not yeah. accusing them of anything. You're assuming that they actually had an oversight and you want to help them correct that because you know because everybody else normally files their taxes on time. They probably meant to do that too, but for whatever the reason, it was just a misunderstanding. Let's figure out how we can get this squared right. away. And there are always going to be the people who are trying to cheat the system, won't call. Yeah, but there's a lot of people who want to do the right thing 
and they make mistakes. And if you sound like you're willing to work with them, they'll work with you. And, and then ultimately they feel relieved because they're not under that obligation any longer and everybody wins. So it's just a matter of how we choose to communicate. And I'm willing to bet, David, that you felt a lot better hanging up that call feeling like, yes, I did it. That was cool. Yeah, we got the deal done. Yep. So, I mean, it was, it worked out as, as good as I could have hoped for. So, um, Talk a little bit about the mediums that you operate on. So I know that you're heavy involved in LinkedIn. I see your stuff being published on Agency Nation. I know that you just said that you had article published in CPC. I, I mean, you're basically everywhere, but I get a weekly update from you. Uh, you know, every time you update something on LinkedIn, I get an email um, regarding that. That's where I'm the most active too. But there's people that are listening to this that, you know, we're not even remotely close to being done that are already saying, Hey, this is a guy I need to follow. I want to get everything that he has when it comes out. Where's the best place for them to follow you where you're the most active? It would absolutely be LinkedIn over the course of time and, and having Twitter and, and Facebook. And I've got the, the business page on Facebook. I have really started to narrow down. LinkedIn is just exploded. There's something like 700 million users or more around the world, but but you know they're there for a specific purpose and that is for, for business. So I do, I put out a lot of content out there. Uh, I've got my blog and my website and things, but I repurpose that into LinkedIn because I know there's a lot of people who don't want to leave the platform to go read something. So I'll drop that whole thing in on a, on a weekly basis. Um, the other medium has been podcasts. When I stepped out on my own, I thought, do I really want to start a podcast, that's gonna take a lot of effort. There's so many things I need to do. And what I started doing was just reaching out to people like you, David, and saying, hey, I, I know you're probably looking for guests. Here's what I do. If you wanna talk about it, let's do so. And that strategy has worked phenomenal. I've been on uh, way over a hundred podcasts now in the last few years, because it's like that snowball going downhill. Once, once people know that you got legitimacy, they've heard you once or twice, interesting material, it's very easy to get on. And so it expands my reach and it helps them. So that's that's the other big avenue. And then the third thing is uh, writing. So I've got a couple books out and my third book will be out by the end of the year. And uh, hopefully by then too, with coming out of the pandemic, I'll just be on the road too much to focus on the writing. But those are the avenues that I've chosen to get the word out. Now, do you have a website in the, like, how do you engage with an agency or a carrier or whoever wants to, uh, to, to hire you to, to work with them? Well, so, you know, I, I heard uh, one of your episodes and you were talking about utilizing HubSpot and, and I use something called Pipedrive, but I have a very disciplined process. I've got hundreds and hundreds of uh, potential customers in there and there's not one, not a single one who doesn't have a task to do something. And so I know that tomorrow tasks are going to pop up. And so once I make contact with somebody, I, I try to be very strategic about this. I meet somebody uh, and I have a maybe a Zoom session. Boom, they're going in my contacts because I got their email and I've got their uh, phone number now. And I'm reaching right back out on LinkedIn to connect with them there. Always a personal message when they connect. Always a thank you back because that starts conversation. So I'm going to hit them from multiple ways to find out what is their what is their preferred method of communication. Do they really want to go the email route? Do they want to go the, the, the LinkedIn route? Once I determine that, that's where I start going. And then I just, uh, with a soft touch, I'm usually staying in touch with people, you know, quarterly. Sometimes it's biannual, depending on the conversations. 
But what I want to make sure is I am personally reaching out and connecting with them on a periodic basis. And then I want them to see me all over LinkedIn and say, man, this guy is pumping out stuff. We need to have conversations about how he can come in and help our organization, be it sales, claims, underwriting, leadership. So that's that's an interesting point you made there is you find out how people want to be communicated with. We were just talking about that the other day. And, and you know, instead of us being in the habit of... Um, you know, giving people information the way we want them to receive it, finding out how they would like to receive it. And and that kind of goes back to your point you made earlier about, um, you know, the way we're delivering the message and asking versus telling somebody what to do. I think that's important and it goes overlooked sometimes. Yeah. And then the other thing to do too is, is I make sure if somebody says, hey, you know, we discussed it and this really doesn't look like it's something that would fit, you know, with what we're doing right now. And I, and I'll come back and say, you know what, that's okay. I'm in this for the long game. Would it be okay if I stayed in touch with you bi-monthly or quarterly, which is best. And they, oh, you know, every other month would be fine. Now I've got their permission to, to continually reach out. And what I found is even when they aren't necessarily responding, they're seeing it. Because yeah, they're consuming it, yeah. that information. I see this yeah. all the time. I will have a call with somebody to talk about killing commercials, spend 30, 45 minutes on the phone with them. I am very deliberate in that conversation. I tell them, number one, if they want to talk about coming into the program after this call, I will talk to them as many times as they want. However, they will be the one to initiate it. Uh, I do not put people into an uncomfortable position. I don't want them to think that I'm going to continuously, you know, drip email on them and follow up and do all of this stuff um, because I made the decision when I decided I was going to launch a peripheral program to my agency life. I'm not going to go to an insurance conference and sit at the lunch table by myself. I just, I don't want people to, to feel that way. And yeah. so I tell them that because I don't want them to feel like they're being ignored. I want them to understand that I'm intentionally not putting pressure on them and that I'm wide open to talk to them, but I want them to make that move. I bet you at least a half dozen times over the course of the last year, six months after I talked to somebody, I, I get a phone call saying, hey, I'm ready to come into the program if you'll still have me. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been watching. And so obviously we're watching in the CRM. We know who's opening what, how many pages they're going to on the website and all the content that they're consuming. And we lead score as well. But all that to say, you know, people with, people pay attention. You know, if it's something that they are truly interested in, maybe the timing just isn't right. Maybe they just, you know, they're getting ready to migrate a bunch of data because they're changing AMSs and they're being 100% sincere, or maybe they're tire kickers, you know? Yeah, but yeah. I think that if they are sincere, eventually that does always come back around. And if you handle it the right way, you're going to enhance your own opportunities, you know, to close business down the road. I think as as we started opening up this summer from from the pandemic, I started getting pinged a lot. And what the what it was was like, wow, you know, I've been reaching out to so and so. I haven't heard from them for a while, but then I would find out they were singing my praises internally. So they were getting what I was sending. They just get busy and sometimes they can't reply back. And that gave me that gave me that confidence that I'm I'm doing the right thing. So all my outreach is personal. You know, if I send you a, an email, Kyle, it, it's it's coming from me. It's not auto generated. It's it's going to be that one on one because people respond to that more. And and I'm not afraid to to say to somebody, look, you won't hurt my feelings if you tell me never. It'll save us both time. I'm okay with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I'm okay if you tell me not now, because if they say, yeah, now's not the right time, that's where I'm going to say, 
could I stay in touch with you? You know, what would be good? Two months, three months, what, what would be the right cadence? And once I've got their permission, they're probably reading because it goes back to that principle of consistency, right? They want to feel good about themselves and live up to what they what they said. So there's so many ways to to deal with that that don't come across as, my gosh, I, this guy's pounding me all the time. Leave me mm -hmm. alone. That's not what I want. I want people, I want to do enough that people are, are hungry and they're like, give me more. That's a great point. I mean, and asking permission is a, is a fantastic way to do that. So it's interesting. You said something earlier that I picked up on um, where you said people don't like to say no. And one of my favorite things that I have learned and implemented into my sales process that I learned in Never Split the Difference was the psychology of people using the word no. Okay. And now I'm not disagreeing with you in what you said, but I'm interested in your comments on what Chris talks about in his book. You know, Chris, we're buddies like that. I'm just we're first name basis now. Um, but, you know, his comment was that people psychologically feel in control of the conversation when they say the word no. And mm -hmm. we're trained so much to get to yes that if we just take the time to step back and ask the question in a way that will get us to where we want to be through a no answer, you have a better chance of getting to yes in the end. Mm -hmm. And so an example of that is, you know, when we call people and we know the experience mod on their workers comp, we know up front whether or not they're paying too much just because of where their mod is. If their mod is a 1.0 there and you're an Ohio guy. So I'm giving you a little bit of comp background. Cause I don't know how much you know from your carrier days being in Ohio, but you know, a, a mod of 1.0 means a commercial underwriter. So I remember working with mods. Yeah. It just means you're average, right? If you're a 1.0, you're average. If you're above, you're performing badly. And if you're below, you're performing better than average. Mm -hmm. And so instead of calling up and trying to book an appointment by getting to yes as quick as we can, we open the call with, are you happy that you're paying at least 42% more than your peer group for your workers' comp insurance? Mm -hmm. And the answer is obviously going to be no. Nobody's going to be happy they're paying 42% more. And I follow up a second time with, in the last three to five years, has anyone come in and used software to audit your mod to make sure it's even correct and then break down how many dollars that's costing you? And I'm banking on the fact that that's no too, because the mods I, are one, you know, 1.42. And when they give me, so when they give me the no's to those, the immediate follow-up is, well, since you're not happy, you're paying 42% more than your peer group and nobody has ever come in to audit your mod. Wouldn't you agree that it would make sense for us to spend 20 or 30 minutes walking through our process and how our company can help you ultimately save money by reducing your total cost of risk? You're going to book the appointment almost every single time because you back them into the corner. They don't, they're not happy. Nobody's ever done this. Why wouldn't they be willing to meet with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm when I was talking about no to I come at it at a different way. And I completely agree with what you're talking about. You know, another question, too, that you might want to think about massage and, and ultimately utilize is, is the question of um, you have a wonderful business here, David. Um, do you think your business is, is better than average, better than your your peers? Who's going to say no to that? Right. Nobody. Mm -hmm. No, we, we're a great business. And, and that's where you can come in and say, you know, uh, Things like work comp mods are based on averages, and, and I looked yours up, and at 42%, that's not average. That's indicating to anybody who knows anything that, that this is kind of a dangerous place to work, right? All of us, they've already said now they're better than average, and now they're, they're being confronted with the reality in this big part of their uh, business and their protection of employees beyond just the insurance that they're not. 
So anyway, but what I wanted to say when it comes to no, sometimes, sometimes when people are making an ask of another person, they censor themselves. They say like, oh, I'm not going to ask David for this. He'll never go for this. That's just too, I'm going to start down here. And, and almost reflexively, people will sometimes say no to a salesperson because they just think I can get a better price. So I always tell people, you know, no, go in and, and whatever that thing is that you determine to be the right package for that person, you don't say, oh, they'll never go for this because it's a lot more than what they currently have. Trust that you're a good salesperson. They might say yes. But if they say no, you want to be strategically ready in the moment with something else that you can put on the table because the psychology is with reciprocity, that natural feeling that you have to give back to someone who first gives to you, that also works with concessions. And so when you're ready in the moment when someone says no and you're ready and you have some fallback positions, that's where people are quite often going to meet you part way. And there's several studies that, that clearly show this where people would get a significantly better response to the very same question by first starting with a bigger ask. So that's a little bit different angle than what you're talking about in Chris Voss, because there are some questions you do want to get that no answer to because it's highlighting what they need to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. It does. You know, the other one, and I think that you, I'm trying to remember what video you saw that when you originally reached out to me, it may have been the one on mirroring or labeling, but those are two of my favorites too, right? And, and then also accusation audit. So from a yeah. mirroring perspective, like that, that to me is something everybody should do. Like you don't have to, ha you could have the IQ of a potato and mirror, and mirror people. Like there's no excuse, Brian. Like you literally can mirror, anybody can mirror anybody. And yeah. so- we're wired. We are naturally wired to do that. We are, we are mirroring like in the movies. Sometimes we do things unconsciously because that's what we're seeing on the screen. Yeah, that was, again, going back to um, my days with Quill, mirroring was something that we taught was it was something that you had to do um, because it again, it kind of put people at ease. So like it's a little bit different because we were going in, walking in cold to a business that we had never been in before trying to sell them some office supplies. So a little bit different scenario. So, and, and most of the time I was walking in with, you know, one or, or two other people with me. So it's a little bit intimidating. So, um, you know, we were trying to do a lot of putting at ease early on. And, and one of the ways that we would do that is, is mirror and not necessarily mirror only with words and the things that and repeating what people were saying because that's what you're referring to david but um mirroring their body language and like if they were sitting i was going to grab a seat like i'm not just going to stand awkwardly in their office and start talking to them that's <laughs> weird right if there was nowhere to sit i would just kind of maybe lean in the in the door frame or if they were you know standing on leaning on the counter i would do the same thing and 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 that's a big or, or part. if they go to the fridge to yank out a four pack of perrier you're going to take <laughs> I'm one i'm just gonna i'm just gonna walk over there and snag one um, yeah, but, we were, Brian, we were in, that's an inside joke. We were in a, in an appointment with a guy who you would never expect to be drinking anything other than Bush light, honestly, <laughs> you know, but he, it was the guy who owns his plumbing company and he pulls out a four pack of lemon flavored Perrier. And that's like the last thing I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to yeah, drink. I had a full but he water. Offered it to, yeah. And he was just like, yeah. I mean, he, he was like, you guys want one? And I'm like, no, you know, we're, we're, we're all right. You know, I've, I've got a water right here. We're good. And he's like. Okay, well, yeah, just have one. Just have one. It's like um, it's like your grandma at Thanksgiving dinner, right? No, you'll have one more <laughs> yeah. piece of pie. Have yeah, one more. He's like, like, he's like fine, kept fine. I'll do it. I'll take it. Um, Kyle, to what you're to what you're saying about mirroring, and I use the term mirroring when it's the body language and pacing when it comes mm -hmm. to voice and 
but mm-hmm. but it really falls under what I described earlier, that principle of liking that we prefer to say yes to people that we know and like. Mm-hmm. And and when we find that we're similar and similarity is not just, you know, sports teams and college, but when we think that people are similar to us in the body language and, and how they talk and how they behave, all yeah. of those, like you yeah. rightly point out, it gives a sense of comfort to the other person. I would say still going in with the mindset of I'm not going to do this just to get them to do what I want. I'm going to do this because I want them to feel comfortable. I want to feel comfortable. I want to have a good conversation. Even if it's a no, I want to be happy that I came here and I and I had this interaction. What can I do to make that happen? And again, I think that's where people see authenticity and respond much more. Sure. Totally agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, listen, we are coming up on on time and I want to be respectful of your time uh, what have we missed? What do you want to get out that we haven't asked you? Well, you got a new uh, book coming up. You can talk about that. You, know, you want people to buy it. I, well, the, the book, I, I, there's something else I want to talk about more. So I'll, I'll push that. Uh, well, we'll have you back when the book releases, we'll have you back to talk about it then. Cause there's Great, no, I, I mean, we could go for another two hours with you easily. Um, what I would want people to know, I, I get the question a lot about, well, what's the difference between what you're teaching and manipulation? Now, I hope that people in hearing multiple times me talking about authenticity start to see the difference there. But when we talk about ethical influence, there are three things that are key for you to be ethical. The first thing is truthfulness. You never lie. In fact, I like to put it this way. We don't just tell the truth. We never hide the truth. If there's something material that you know would impact someone's decision and you hold it back and they find out later and they come back and say, hey, why didn't you tell me? Your, your defense of you didn't ask is going to be no defense. You will not be looked at as yeah, a that's lame. honest broker. So we tell the truth. We don't hide the truth. The second thing is we only use the principles that are natural to the situation. So we don't claim scarcity if there's something's not scarce. We don't falsely claim expertise when we don't have it. So that, that really, that borders on the lying, but it's very specific to the principles. And then the third thing that we do is we have to create situations that are positive for both people. You know, Covey talked about win-win, but I like to put it this way. Good for you, good for me, then we're good to go. If I know that what I'm putting out will better you and, and you sense that it'll better you too, even if I get paid to do that, I am, and I'm being truthful and using this natural psychology, I can feel very good about who I am and how I'm interacting with people to try to get them to make decisions that I believe will be in their best interest in the long run. Got cool. it. Where do they find you, man? We we told them LinkedIn, but I mean, yep. I'm, I'm sure you have a website and a plethora yep. of information out there as well. What's the best way? So number one would be LinkedIn. And I will tell you, if you hear me on this podcast and you reach out and you don't say, I, I heard you on the podcast, I guarantee, I guarantee I will come back and say, how did you find me? Because one, it makes social media social. I want to have interaction with the people I'm connected to. And I like to understand why people are reaching out. So that would be the best way because then you're going to see all kinds of content. But if you go to my website, which is influencepeople.biz, you go out there, you can see any of the hundred plus podcasts I've been on and listen to those. Uh, there are preview videos of my LinkedIn learning courses. There's other videos. There are links to my books. Um, I've, been, I've been blogging for, for more than a dozen years. There's six or 700 articles out there. So there is no shortage of, of information available on the website and I keep pumping it out and you'll see it on LinkedIn. 
Good deal. Well, listen, Brian, very much appreciate you spending time with us this afternoon. There's a 100% chance that we are going to have you come back. Would love to have you come back and talk about the new book when it gets closer to that time. Really appreciate you sharing what you've shared today. People, it costs you nothing to connect with this guy, right? He he just, if you dissected what he just did, he practices what he preaches. He established authority by telling you how many podcasts he's been on, how many blog posts he's written, how long he's been doing it, giving you the clear path on where to find him. If you don't get better at persuading people, it's your fault because we have given you the conduit to somebody who can make you better. So Brian, thank you very much for being on. Look forward to having you back and wish you nothing but continued success going forward. Hey, it was my pleasure and I look forward to coming back and talking with both of you. Thanks, Brian. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. Killing Commercial.